You're listening to a podcast from EMJ. Welcome to this fourth episode of our EMJ podcast series. I'm meeting today in a rather nice day here in London with Dr. Meng Aoyong. Good afternoon, Meng. Nice to see you again. Good afternoon, Janos, and thank you very much. It's a great honor to be here with you. Meng is the chair of the FASTGEM, Forum of Staff Grades and Associate Specialist in Emergency Medicine, which represents well over a thousand doctors working within emergency medicine, but outside the traditional training programs in the UK and the Republic of Ireland. Meng, you are handing over the leadership of FASTGEM after three years of hard work. Would you like to summarize briefly to our listeners in a couple of sentences the mission statement of the organization? It's been a great privilege uh, to have been the chair of FASTGEM. FASTGEM itself was created in 1997 with the help of two emergency medicine consultants, Ken Nesbitt and Ian Stewart, to whom we owe great gratitude. They helped form this group called FASTGEM for a group of doctors at that time known as non-consultant career-grade doctors. They started initially with a conference held in Plymouth, and however, as FASTGEM gained increasing recognition due to great stewardship from its first and subsequent chairs, Dr. Andrew Newton and Juan Ballesteros, our, our conference became much more popular. FASTGEM also then became incorporated into uh, CHEM, which is the College of Emergency Medicine as well. The term non-consultant grade has now been replaced by that more appropriate term, staff and associate specialist doctor. And the new contract introduced in 2008, based on the consultant contract, recognises staff and associate doctors much more. Emergency medicine has got 1,000 doctors, um, but the BMA estimates there's at least 12,000 SAS doctors and this is probably a concerted estimate. The vision statement objectives of FASTGEM was developed in collaboration with the FASTGEM executive and CHEM officers. This is because I felt that FASTGEM had matured as an organization, integrating with CHEM and its various committees, and we needed a focus to drive its executives and its members forward with with assurances that both CHEM and FASTGEM were working with its membership. The vision for FASTGEM is that SAS positions are considered essential to the provision of safe and effective emergency medicine care to patients in UK and the Republic of Ireland. Its objectives are to achieve membership of CHEM and FASTGEM of all SAS doctors working in emergency medicine, to make sure that all our doctors are welcome as members of the College of Emergency Medicine and provide equal opportunities, rights and privileges as they deserve. That SAS doctors are welcome as members of clinical team in their departments and their contributions to patient care are valued FastGem should provide an effective system of communication between its members, FastGem and CHEM, and also to encourage and support CPD of all SAS doctors in emergency medicine and to provide development of opportunities for SAS doctors to learn and progress in their career pathway. I also hope that FastGem can provide an effective interface with CHEM and its members. So FastGem represents well over 1,000 doctors. Um, as we said, work within emergency medicine, but outside the traditional training programs. You did mention CPDs, you did mention professional recognition and progression. What current difficulties do you see in terms of professional recognition and progression? Many SAS doctors initially came from overseas and took up this post traditionally because they had difficulties getting training numbers. Prior to the new specialty contract, which came in in 2008, these posts did not incorporate any CPD or any developmental support. As a result, many SAS doctors have stagnated. They didn't have the time, opportunity to take further exams. These posts were extremely onerous, being entirely service delivery focused. 
and SAS doctors normally got very hard shifts to work, i.e. night shifts. Many doctors also chose this because for personal reasons. They, they have family, and these posts were originally 9 to 5, with no weekend covers, which suited a lot of uh, working women or, or single, single parents, and also provided with flexibility as well. Myself, for instance, I have a dual post. I work as a forensic medical examiner, and I was able to do two careers as a result of the staff grade job. So it had a lot of potential at that time. However, the job itself has changed, so that these jobs are no longer 9 to 5. They become much more service delivery, and it's much harder for the SAS doctors to, to choose and have the time off again. Mm. Now... Although these SAS doctors possess much more experience than trainees, and many of them work at consultant level or senior registrar level or senior trainee level, uh, there's a feeling about the trainees that they're, they're not necessarily good enough because they may not possess the exit exams. Many of these doctors, having come from overseas, do not speak English as their mother tongue, and this increases the perception they may not be as qualified or good enough. So there is a difficulty for these doctors to be recognised. The lack of protected CPD has been the main problem. The introduction of minimum one, C one SPA for as a CPD in their contract has been a great step forward. However, this is inadequate. The AOMRC has already last year made recommendations that it should be 1.5 SPA as a minimum. However, I feel that many SAS doctors, having been deprived of these SPAs, CPD opportunities for so many years need more than that to catch up, to get back onto the level playing field. Don't forget, trainees get one day a month off for teaching, and at least 30% of their time is super newbie. And that is a great deal more than the one SPAs that doctors get. To compound this, SAS doctors never had any funding to support their SPD, CPD until the DH scheme came in. There are difficulties, though, about distribution of these funds, uh, there have been variable use of these funds. There's been some excellent projects, um, notably I'd have to say what we chose an advisor, London Deanery Frontier Project. The, the Frontier Project itself um, had allocated money for SAS doctors to apply for secondments or sponsorship for courses, degrees. I myself undertook a certificate of medical education, which I would never have taken. Colleagues have been given money to support for backfield cover in order to gain experience that, there were, that was required to complete the CZ application. So things are changing, but there's still a lot more work to okay. um, There has been a recent sharp decline in number of uh, SAS doctors, and this for various reasons. We briefly mentioned hours worked, wage, wages, professional recognition issues. What can be done, what should be done to retain these doctors within emergency medicine? Many years ago, I spoke at the BMA ARM uh, when I was an SHO, and I described um, uh, SAS doctors as a lost tribe uh, when I was a staff grader at that time. Uh, this was a, a term that was picked up after junior doctors were described as lost tribes themselves. Unfortunately, SAS doctors are now the lost tribe. Um, and a survey 10 years ago, uh, undertaken by Andrew Newton, of SAS doctors' emergency medicine, reported that we were losing 30% of SAS doctors' emergency medicine. This was due to low pay, low morale, as a result of perceived exploitation of SAS doctors, low poor working conditions, 
poor recognition. The problem we have now of an acute shortage as much as 50% of middle grades in emergency medicine reflects on this, what's been happening 10 years ago. Together with the government's changes in visa requirements, it's much harder for overseas doctors to come over here. So we've been starved of the supply of middle grade doctors, um, resulting in a very dangerous shortage. Many trusts now are unable to provide that senior cover throughout 24-7. Another factor that contributes to this is the closure of the associate specialist grade, which caps the maximum earning of a doctor to the new contract, which is, is 66000 to a potential of 90000 for an associate specialist. So there's less of an attraction for anyone to become a specialty doctor because they could earn more by becoming a general practice or working in other fields. So, there's no incentive for them if, they, if their pay is capped at 60,000, 66,000 to put more effort into their training or into the department itself. However, with MMC, the lack of service exposures of trainees now, the imminent contraction of the NHS in the current financial climate, many trainees may not get their consultant post after they complete a CCT. This may lead to them taking up a post and it may be a, a specialty post or clinical fellow until they can get a consultant post. So the SAS grade may be a, a sieving post for people waiting to get the consultant's post or waiting to get that ST rotation. However, I, I, it is really crucial that we maintain that pool of SAS doctors because they provide stability to a department. They support the department, they provide a platform for junior doctors to train in. Nursing staff often rely on SAS doctors because they are a known quantity. Many SAS doctors will know the department at the back of their hands. They allow the consultants to develop the department, to attend meetings and also perform other educational roles. Uh, do you see these doctors as a separate entity, or do you think they should be working towards a specialist exam uh, through Article 14 CSR, and therefore a consultant post? It's, it's interesting, the introduction of Article 14 now known as CESA allowed many SAS doctors to apply, and there was a great influx of it in emergency medicine, um, and last year I think eight people were successful in applying. Uh, many of them became consultants, were actually all great associate specialists who were working at that level already. Um, it's a great opportunity for many, and it reflects on the high quality of work that many SAS doctors were doing. One of the problems with, with Caesar equipment is trainees do not necessarily recognize it as equivalent. And although a lot of SAS doctors, not necessarily emergency medicine, have got Caesar. They are finding it difficult to get a consultant's post. So much so that the BMA and the GMC have started a campaign to actually raise the awareness that the CESA is equivalent, if not, requires a higher standard of proof than CCT to achieve that standard. Now, should doctors do CESA? It's a career choice. There are many doctors who would like that post, but there are also many who would like to stay in that post as a SAS doctor because it allows them to stay in the department. They want to be there. They want to choose the reduced hours. I think the difference would be in where, what they could choose to do in their roles. 
Now, if SaaS doctors were allowed to expand their roles, for instance, myself, I'm now allowed to, to for the last year and a half, be a consultant on the shop floor. And one of the things that would really help SaaS doctors recognizing their role is for a push, and that's currently happening to BMA, for them to become educational clinical supervisors. They're in an ideal position. They're permanent. They know the staff. They know how things work. They know where to refer juniors to, how to get support and help and training courses within their own trust. Taking on the roles of educational supervisor would raise the profile of SAS doctors, would increase their awareness, would also help develop their leadership role as well, and also their recognition. The other thing that is coming is that there's a pilot by the GMC of credentialing. Now, there has been opposition with trainees about credentialing because they feel that credentialing is a shortcut way to become a consultant, a shortcut way to be doing private work. Now, many SAS doctors don't see it as that. They don't necessarily want to become consultants, but they like to be recognised for their specific skills that they do. So, let's say an orthopaedic SAS consultant uh, doctor may not get Caesar because he had to go back and do general orthopaedic training, but he might be a very, very good knee specialist. Mm. Now, if credentialing came in, he could be recognised as a knee specialist on his own merit. And that's what would satisfy them. There have been a lot of studies done. It's about job satisfaction. If we can give them recognition, role, and appropriate remunerations, many of them would be happy staying in their position. Okay. Where do you see the future of FastJet and the future of SAS doctors in the UK and the Republic of Ireland? As, as I mentioned, there is a concern that the numbers are diminishing uh, due to visa problems, um, due to SAS doctors getting CISA articles. Uh, I think we're going to reach a stable group of people, but also the trainees may then come into this uh, to increase the pool. Now, FastGem is, is pivotal because it's one of the few organisations, in fact, it's the only organisation in all the colleges that stands on its own and is recognised by its college as an entity. And so it's extremely unique and it's been born out of hard work for many generations of SAS doctors. So FastGem will continue, and I'm sure it will in my successor, Caroline, and future successors and the members that are coming through, to serve its members because we represent SAS doctors at every level in chem, and also we're trying to push through innovative support of doctors, such as our doctors take on educational supervisor roles. Well, Meng, thank you very much uh, for meeting with us this afternoon. On behalf of the HDL uh, Board of the Emergency Medicine Journal, thank you. Thank you very much. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.